the goal, I think even for me, I wanted to do it big. I wanted to make my parents proud. And, and it was unfortunate they never got to see the evolution of what I became or what I was going to become. So I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder of trying to make it. Carlos Batty, better known as Jackie's boy, lost both of his parents at a young age, a massive life hurdle that can disrupt even the best laid plans. However, Carlos took that loss and channeled it into his music, grinding, writing, and networking on the streets of LA. His hard work paid off, and after signing a deal with Universal and working with superstars of all types, he ultimately earned a Grammy for his work with Madonna. Carlos joins us today to talk about perseverance and motivation in the face of the greatest adversity life can throw at us. On this episode, The Big Break. So yeah, let's just get started. So where are you, um, where are you calling us from today? Uh, right now I'm in Orlando, Florida. Um, I'm kind of all over the place. So I, I, I spend my time in LA. Uh, I got a spot in LA and spend my time here in Orlando. So, uh, so yeah. All right. And, uh, you know, we're, I'm not sure when exactly we'll have this release, but at the moment we are like everyone else sort of hunkered down a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, with the current virus situation and whatnot. And, um, how was, how was, how, how's that? been for you so far is that has that been affecting you anyway like positively negatively just in general <laughs> like the rest of us uh i i would say man it's it, it for, the, for the overall part for the sacrifices we have to make to 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 make sure that our communities and our people are safe this is small uh completely minor you know uh you know i've i've played you know uh charades for about a million times at this point with my family but that's definitely not not a big not a big problem at all um i love you know spending time with the family and i think that this is uh like i said a small sacrifice to make for you know for our advancement you know in 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 you know and what we're trying to do here. And, and yeah, and just trying to get everything, you know, back mm-hmm. up to speed again. And now, we'll, we'll touch base on some of this stuff later. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting uh, developments uh, related to the music industry in particular uh, with this. And uh, I want to talk to you about that as we kind of maybe get towards the later part of this uh, little part of this podcast. But um, cool. let's uh, let's take ourselves away from the current situation just for <laughs> a moment and, uh, and look back a little bit in time. So um, I did a little bit of reading up uh, on you and whatnot, found it in a couple of interviews that you've done in the past and such. And a- am I right that you, you and I believe your brother were initially discovered um, while performing in Los Angeles somewhere? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We got, you know, seen singing on uh, Hollywood Boulevard, Santa Monica Pier, um, the Promenade in Santa Monica as well. So, yeah, you know, starting out as street performers, kind of busking our way you know, in different streets and, you know, just trying to make a living. And at that time we did, you know, get an A&R from Atlantic Records who gave us a shot. That's amazing to me. Like, I, I mean, I've seen people performing on, you know, I, when I say performing on the streets, I mean that, you know, in more of the busking sort of way, just like finding a corner and doing your thing. Right. Yeah. And I never, it, kind of really struck me that you were that that you were discovered by a record industry executive while doing that i didn't think that that actually happened yeah it's kind of like you know like those movie kind of things is out of a movie where you see someone singing and they go hey you're a star you know what i mean and they just start things just start happening but i will say it was not overnight it was five years of of street performing you know very blood sweat and tears literally um of just you know sleeping in 
in cars and sleeping on studio floors and just, you know, sleeping on the streets sometimes to just follow this dream and make some things happen for ourselves. So it was very, you know, it was some rough times and it, you know, wasn't overnight, but when things started to connect, it really did. Yeah. Well, let's kind of go to the beginning of that. Like, how did you first get into music in general? Just like, even on an appreciation level, maybe where, where music's, you know, meant something maybe a little bit more to you than, than it does to, you know, your general, you know, population. Man, I would say, you know, I don't know why, but I just always had this love for songwriting. I just, I, I was, I caught it very early of just watching people sing songs and wondering if they wrote them and how did they write something so special. One of my biggest influences was Babyface. And this is before I knew he, you know, you know, had at the face records and all of these different things. I just loved uh, the song Whip Appeal and like, you know, some of his classic songs. And I'm like, man, you know, he's a genius, you know, and I just wanted to write songs like Babyface when I was coming up. So, See, that, that, that's really fascinating to me. Like, because I'm a music fan and I love listening to music. I've always been interested in music, but I've never, at, at no point did I ever think that I could write a song or even perform a song. I never made that leap to music as being something that I consumed and appreciated to something that I could actually contribute to. And so like, was what was it? Was there a part where you realized that this was something that you could actually do or maybe even before that that was something you even wanted to try yeah i mean i i I love singing as well and i was just always singing and you know finding some excuse to you know to sing whether that to be you know trying to impress girls or just you know just get just you know just do something and i think at the time music had a very early calling with me and i remember telling my mom uh you know that i could sing and she was like really, you know, kind of giving me the side. I like, can you really sing? And I sung for her and she was like, okay, you, you got something. And I tried out for a gospel choir. Um, and I got, I got the lead in one of the gospel choirs and then also one of the leads at my school choir as well. So that really kind of just made me believe in myself and started to take things a little more seriously. Um, and I think sometimes you kind of feel like, I don't know whether it's like you're meant to do it, but you just kind of feel like maybe you're a little more talented than maybe you thought. So, you know, they started with that belief for sure. Now your um, performing name, uh, I believe if I've got it right, is, is Jackie's boy, correct? Yes, right. Yeah. Now that's, and that's based on your mother, correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah. My mom, so how, how influential was she in, in getting you, giving you the confidence to pursue this? Honestly, man, she was extremely, you know, influential. Uh, she was a person that would give it to me straight, you know, let me know like, hey, you know, if you want to do this, it takes hard work. It takes sacrifice and you have to believe in yourself and and there's no shortcuts with it. You got to really go hard for it. So she was one of those people that just instilled in me about how, you know, hard work. And, you know, if you're really going to do it, you got to really do it. So um, she didn't have a uh, she didn't have the talent herself per se, uh, but she definitely instilled hard work in me. Right. So the work ethic, everyone, you know, a lot of people have talent, but you know, obviously the work, I think there's probably three things that we're going to be able to talk about here is, you know, one part is sort of the talent and how you use it Two is the work you put into it. And three, there's going to be a little bit of luck involved as I think we started off with a bit. So uh, we'll we'll get into all three of those areas. So, um, so when did this start uh, becoming something that you were, you know, doing? I mean, it was you and your brother at first too, right? You guys were performing together and such. So what was, you know, you're, you're from uh, Georgia, correct? Yes, Savannah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, b- back then it was, you know, like I said, we, we bust out in Savannah too. There was a spot called River Street and uh, we would go out there Friday, Saturdays and Sundays from about 7 p.m. till about midnight. 
and we would go and, and sing. And I mean, they had the best acoustics under this building, under the Hyatt. They had this little kind of drive thing where people can drive by. And uh, man, I, it was so electrifying to be able to, you know, get the kind of sound we got and have the people react in the way they did. So I knew uh, I always wanted to come to California. Um, I actually met a friend of mine in high school named Justin Holly, who's a musician as well. And uh, he was from Cali and he always talked about how cool and glamorous LA was. So I was like, man, this could be a really cool, you know, way to get out, out there. So, you know, we had a plan to, you know, come out to LA and I came once by myself just to kind of figure it out with him. And then, uh, and then shortly after me and my brother came out together, um, after our parents passed away and that was kind of the fuel, uh, to get us to like move on our dreams because, you know, in Savannah, we had nothing, you know, tying us down, you know, um, we just, we just had our dream and, you know, when tragedy happens, you kind of put your, your, yourself into your work. And we just really just dove into this music thing full force. Now, before you moved out to California and, you know, back in Savannah, you're, 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 uh, you're performing in this, uh, great acoustic, you know, spot on the street and whatnot. Yeah. Did you ever, you know, were you, were you getting like at any point like paid venue gigs or by any chance, or was it, or was it, was it still at that, um, at that busking level? Yeah, it was a little bit of both, right? Okay. Like sometimes like what happens is we'll sing and, you know, we'll catch somebody going, oh, man, you sound so good. I like for you to sing at, you know, my daughter's birthday party or, you know, uh, I remember getting my first gig. I would call um, different restaurants um, myself and just say, hey, you know, my name is Carlos and I have a group and we love to perform for your uh, for at your venues. And we knew we wasn't like, you know, I knew we weren't on a level like, a, you know, like a genuine or a jagged edge back in that day but we knew that everybody needed entertainment and i remember i got a few like you know we're not interested and i remember think maybe like the fifth person i called it was a restaurant a seafood restaurant and um they said yeah come through so we went and uh we auditioned and they they loved they loved us and they said hey you guys got every thursday night so we did thursday night you know kind of entertainment while people were eating and stuff Oh wow! Okay, and so so you're doing this for a little bit, and then and then you decide just to go go big, basically, right? Like like pull up stakes and and go out to California and really give it a shot out out there. I mean, you didn't really have um, a super uh, established foundation at that point, career wise, right? I mean, you're you're still in you know really the earliest part of the aspirational stage at this point, correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just figured if it could work in Georgia, then it could work in California. Um, and now, were you singing your own songs? You guys writing your own songs, or were you guys singing uh, covers? It was both. Yeah, we did a we did half and half. Um, well, I'll probably say eighty percent covers, and then twenty percent of our original music. Um, yeah, we came out to L.A. with the idea of just saying, "Hey, you know, if we if we did really well in in Savannah, we could do really well in California." Which we hit with with a screeching halt because that wasn't the case. I remember the first the first week, we we barely made anything. Um, and it was, uh, you know, we got a little shell shocked because we thought that, oh yeah, if you could just, if you can sing, then you can sing anywhere, which partially was true, but there was a bit of a, more of a hustle that we had to understand and implement out in California. So is, is that just a matter of just a lot more people in California doing the same thing compared to Savannah or was there some other factor? Yeah, well, that, that is the main one. If it's so much talent, people feel like you have to be, you have to be doing something really, really great. And what we figured out the formula to us was we, we tried a bit of a, um, 
a DJ approach or a mixtape approach where we would cover several songs in a matter of 10 minutes compared to just doing one or two songs in a matter of 10 minutes. So the idea was to grab people, as many people as possible that are walking. So if you don't like this one song, then this next one's got to grab you. And if the next one don't grab you, then the next one after that is going to grab you. Okay. And all this time as you're doing this, what's your, what's your goal here? Was it just to get a name for yourself? Were you selling, I don't know, tape, CDs, et cetera? Were you hoping someone would notice? Like what was, what was the intent behind the activity? Both. Yeah. We, 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 we cut up, cut a demo, um, in Georgia and then we cut a demo in California as well. And the idea was, you know, we sold our own material. So if you liked us enough, you pay 10 bucks for our CD. Um, we even use that going out to Vegas. I remember taking 500 CDs and going out to Las Vegas with no plan at all. And just basically saying, we're going to sell out or we don't come back from Vegas. So uh, we always had material ready. And uh, the goal, I think even for me, I wanted to do it big. I wanted to make my parents proud. And and it was unfortunate they never got to see the evolution of what I became or what I was going to become. So I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder of trying to make it. Okay. Okay. So I guess lastly, uh, you mentioned the acoustics at the place where you performed back in Savannah. How did you decide where you performed in California? Um, we looked, looked on the internet, (laughs) you know, very early on and just looked up spots in, uh, in California, um, that were good where they had a lot of people. I wouldn't even say they had street performing just they had a lot of people. Um, and then when we got here, we started asking people, Hey, yo, where's the, you know, where can we see entertainment? We just drove around and, and, uh, so you were looking for, you were looking for bodies at that point. You're like, where, where, where is there a mass number of people? Yeah. We didn't care about the rules per se or like, was it allowed? We just was like, (laughs) was it allowed? I'm I'm curious about that. Was it actually allowed? Is that something that you guys could do or did you guys get in trouble? Oh yeah. We got, we got in trouble a lot of times. I mean, for the first couple weeks, you need, we needed a permit and we didn't have one and we didn't have the money to get one. It was like $50 for a permit. And we was like, well, what we're going to do is it avo- avoid, avoid the cops and uh, avoid the, you know, the people that give the tickets, you know? Um, um, so we just kind of worked in between and, and started, you know, singing wherever we could and use that money to end up getting permits. But yeah, man, we, we broke the rules so much because, it was just survival mode. It's like they say fake it till you make it. That maybe another way of putting it is like break it till you make it a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. I mean, I don't I don't condone obviously follow the rules. Oh no, I get it. Boys and girls, but uh I would uh, but I definitely say, you know, when when the rubber meets the road of like of of sheer survival and trying to make it and how you're gonna feed yourself, you get very innovative. And I think for us it was like, you know, we don't know what this place is going to be like, but let's just try it. We don't know what that place is going to be like. Let's just try it. So was there any point where you were thinking about quitting, going back? Several times. <laughs> Several times. Uh, not in the sense of like, was I actually going to do it? Nah, but like, did I think about how things could have been, could be easier? Yes. Um, after being out in California for about a year or two, um, I had my first daughter, um, uh, Michaela, and you know, being a, a, a single dad, you know, you, there's a lot of pressure because you want the best life for your kid, and and if you're out here, you know, busking and not making as much as you think you could be making, 
then it, you know, it kind of gets to you because you're like, you want a better life. And, and obviously the cost of living in Georgia was so much cheaper and just, you know, there's family and, you know, being in, being in LA, you know, I was all alone and didn't have very much friends and didn't have very much people to call on to, to be there through the process. But whenever I felt that way, I would snap out of it and realize like, it's going to work out eventually. Just stay with it. And in that five years, every year I was thinking about going back home. But, you know, like I said, after that fifth year, my whole life changed. And it, well, Let's I, talk about it, that then. So what, what happened? You're, you're performing one day and some guy walks up to you and says, hey, I'm with the record label. I want to sign you. Like, walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 the, the nuts and bolts of it. The, a little prior to that is we met a young, uh, young lady who was actually our manager as well. Uh, her name was Rachel Noel. She uh, spotted us first. And she said, hey, you know, do you guys have a manager? And, you know, he was like, nah. And we, you know, she hired us for a party, I believe. I think it was a 4th of July party or something like that. And we did that. And that kind of helped, like, us kind of be noticed a little more as well. And then we, but even when we started doing things with her, we still kept going back to, to, to the pier. So one of the days going back to the pier, we meet um, a guy by the name of Brandon Kitchen who's a, a dear friend to this day, who was a junior A&R for Atlantic Records. And he heard us sing and was like, yo, like, you guys, you guys are switching songs like every minute or so. Y'all, y'all know everything. Do you guys write your own music? And I was like, yeah, of course. And uh, we gave him a CD and, you know, all of that stuff. And I think he knew, like, I guess he figured because we sung so many songs, he figured, you know, you, we have to be able to write something. So um, we built a relationship, and he's, you know, from there. Yeah. So now, now was he there because your manager uh, suggested he go and check you guys out, or was it by chance? No, no, two separate, completely situations. Um, uh, he was just out there on a day, just hanging out, you know, just enjoying. Yeah, you know, I think it was a Saturday, just enjoying the beach. And and, and when and then he just came up. Do now at any point where did you doubt his? you know, veracity? Like, was did you think, oh, this is, this is, you know, some guy goofing or? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, because LA has this way of, you know, making it seem urgent, but not urgent at the same time. Like <laughs> you'll have people come up to you and go, oh man, this is great. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then, then when you hit them up the next day or a couple of days after they go, who? Like, oh, uh, I did what? I said, what? That's just how I feel like some people are in LA. Yes. And, um, we had a couple of those, um, but this one felt different and just the, the energy and the, the, the urgency felt different. And uh, we exchanged numbers and then he told me, you know, he wanted to set up a meeting between us and uh, uh, his boss, which was a uh, uh, VP of A&R. And uh, we, we took our, our first label meeting, so to speak. <laughs> All right. And so like, so how did that, so what was that like? You walk in there, did you know what to expect? Did you know what you were going to be asked? Did you have to prepare? I mean, you do, you just walk no. in there cold, be like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, well, you know, like, that's kind of intimidating. I think. I right? don't know, bro. We, we don't know nothing, bro. <laughs> Take in mind. I said, you know, guerrilla warfare, bro. We was just surviving. Like I said, you know, we we're just two guys who don't know nothing from nothing, but we do know music. So, that so was you walk conference. in there and what happened? So what was the meeting? I mean, what, what did they do? Did you, just, did you perform or like what happened? No, no, no. It was a thing where I, we, we sat down and, you know, talked with them and he was like, you know, my, 
my junior A&R said that you guys have some talent. And of course, he had a little bit of a, what are these guys doing here? You know, I'm used to bringing in, you know, the, you know, the, the big writers, the Makibas, the Rock Cities, the, you know what I'm saying? Like these big writers, you know, the Desmond Childs of the world, you know, you find these guys on the pier. That was the kind of demeanor I feel like I was getting from him. And, uh, you know, he goes, all right, well, we played some demos. He goes, you know, you guys, you guys can write, you know, but I'd like to see if you can actually do this for real, for real. So he set up a session for us and Atlantic records are notorious for doing writing and production sessions with, um, but you know, just to see what comes out so they can pitch to their, their artists. So, uh, Florida was the, the hot artist at the moment to create for and he had the song low and he had a few other really big records. So he said, you know, I'm going to give you guys some studio time and create something for him. We're looking for his next single. And, you know, while these other big writers had, you know, six hour studio time, five hour studio time. I think we had about 45 minutes. Maybe 30 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it wasn't a very long time to create. And we went in there and uh, uh, I came up with the idea of this hook called sugar and uh i kind of heard the melody in my head i start humming the music to my humming the melody over the track and then we wrote the song in maybe 15 minutes uh 20 minutes uh the chorus and then he got it the the a&r got it was like yo this is actually really good and then three months later the song was all over the radio and it sold two million units that's amazing. So they, this guy hears you singing on the street. You go in for a meeting. You don't even like try to take one of your old established, you know, a song you've already written and then try to tweak it a bit for flow. You actually create something brand new right there in a the studio in like a half an hour. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it yeah. worked. It worked. I think, and I think the reason why it worked is because, you know, preparation is key, you know, and I went out, I did you, I did recording studios in Savannah, Georgia. Um, and back in the day, we didn't have a lot of money to record, to have hours and hours of studio time. We had enough for maybe one hour or maybe even 45 minutes. So, you know, God bless the studio engineer who would just take whatever we could give him. And we learned to work, uh, in, in, in very, you know, crunch time situations. And I think that paid off when we were able to write that one for him that's interesting that's interesting okay so so you, you, you did that one let me before we got on the radio here you did the one song he likes it i'm sure you know they had a pitch at the floor right to see if he wanted and whatnot so like all this time how are you are they did they sign you to a, any kind of like writing deal did they give you some advanced you know funds like how, how are you how are you surviving while this, this process is playing out well you know the funny thing you know about when you get a hit or at least your first taste of a hit you know, people start coming out of the woodworks, you know, the same, the same guy who looked at us as kind of like scrubs was definitely offering us a publishing deal and, you know, kind of the, the demeanor changed and, and, and it wasn't just him. It was several publishers wanting to take me out to dinner and wanting to, you know, wine and dine for us to, you know, to, to, to be in there, to be in our business and be in our world of, of creation. And, uh, you know, I, I went all to, I went to every one of them. I ate all the free food. It was <laughs> amazing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we, um, I decided that I was going to go with the company that best suited my interests, um, which was Universal um, Music Publishing.
As a growing artist or songwriter, keeping royalties coming in is important for keeping the bills paid. It's also important to keep an eye on those royalty payments. A lot of people we worked with here at Royalty Exchange were having a tough time making sense of the royalties that were getting paid. So we built a free tool called Know Your Worth that automatically analyzes every royalty payment made on your music. It breaks it all down in an easy to understand analysis with some insights that would be impossible to find elsewhere. Plus, it connects you with the thousands of investors on Royalty Exchange and allows them to make you offers on your music. So far, musicians have raised over a million dollars for new projects, new ventures, and a whole lot of other things just through the Know Your Worth app. If you're earning royalties, you should be keeping track of them, and Know Your Worth makes it easy. It only takes about three minutes to connect an account, and the tool will automatically update over time. Just visit worth.royaltyexchange.com or find the link in the show notes to get started. Now, let's get back to the interview. And if you don't mind, if, if this is something you can get into, um, I'd love to understand how you came to determine that that was the right company for you. Like, what were the factors that you were looking for? Because that, that's some heady stuff, man. Like, you know, come in, you, you talk through this process, five years, you know, grinding it out. Now you've got all this all this big name activity, Atlantic, Universal, I don't even know who the others were. But, like, that's trying to keep your head straight to really consider the, the right factors seems to me as something that would be not the, not the easiest thing to do. No, no, I wasn't. I think, you know, between the several publishers we went to, I think what made me decide to go at Universal was the fact that um, uh, the A&R um, at the publishing company was very sincere with me and she was she was a friend to me and we met we met actually online and we built a relationship for six months prior to me signing and this is prior to actually the the, the flow rider cut coming out so that showed to me like you you just she you just she just, she just liked me as a human being um and we vibed on that kind of level where you know i have a thing about people kind of just hopping on the bandwagon just because you got something at the moment you know what i'm saying but i i really I feel like true character is when somebody can believe in you and see something in you before anybody else does. And that was a part of that that made me want to stay in a universal world. Um, plus also, you know, it was a, it's a huge company with huge reach and that allowed me to, you know, get things and opportunities that, you know, that I probably wouldn't otherwise. Not to not, not to mention any of the others that you didn't uh, end up going with, but was universe, was that the biggest one that, of the group that you were having discussions with? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, it's hard to get it much bigger. So I'd imagine it was, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, there was Warner chapel and there was a lot of independent publishers as well. Um, there was Sony ATV. Wow. So you had all the big ones. Wow. That's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. About five or six major publishers. And, you know, I think at that time, what, you know, what publishers do, right. Is they, they, they look at the charts, right? Like the top 10, the Hot 100, they're looking at that top 10, top 20, and they're looking at the writers. They're looking at who's making this music. And if they see a name they don't recognize, trust, they're trying to find you. <laughs> okay. All right. That's good. That's interesting. So, and, and I think what's really impressive about this is that, again, you, you were you were taking, it seemed that you were taking a little bit more of the long view. You weren't just trying to say yes to the first offer you had. You were really thinking, okay, what comes next? What comes after this offer? Because you hear about a lot of people get caught in some really bad deals and they're flashing the pan and that's it. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that I have to give a credit to the hustle mentality that I had in high school and singing on the, like I said, singing on the street and coming out to LA singing on the street is, you know, I have to put that work in and the effort in myself before anybody else does. I have to believe in myself before anybody else will. So um, I didn't have to, I didn't want to wait on a universal to give me anything. And up to, until this day, that's how I work. That's how I operate. All the cuts that I've gotten, I would say 90% of them has been on my own, uh, my own hard work and energy. Now some came down some from, for, for relationships. That's why the other 10% comes in and, you know, but yeah, when I grind it and I go hard, I feel like nobody goes harder than me on that, in that aspect to get stuff done. Now, was there anything just before we move on, uh, in that time, uh, you know, as you were uh, considering the different offers and then signing and whatnot, uh, is there anything that you would looking back do differently? Or, or, or was there a particular lesson maybe that, that, that you really, something that you didn't expect that you really, uh, that really clarified things for you? Um, I think for me, understanding how the music business works in the sense of how, you know, how to align myself to be, you know, to have a company back then and to, how to, you know, um, just learn how to, the ins and outs of the, of the business. Uh, I think I only I caught wind to that like five years in the business and realized that there was more than just you know just writing yourself, but also building a company and a joint venture where you can have other writers and and producers that can work. and And I did that actually about five years after that deal I signed. I started you know I created my own joint venture and then I ended up signing a couple writers myself, which you know made me realize and wisen up, you know what I'm saying? But early on, you don't, you know, they don't tell you that kind of stuff of like how to, you know, how, you know, what's, what's the key thing about publishing and how does, you know, splits work and how you get paid and all those different things are, are essential to, to earning money. So, um, so yeah. So you, you, you learn that literally as, as each one of those, um, issues came up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, you know, learning how things work and learning how to, you know, maneuver in this business too is it was was very valuable to me. And like I said, uh, over time I began to go, it clicked to where oh I get it now, and I see how this person moves and how that person moves. And um, you know, thank God for the A and R's at the companies that you know that kind of put me on game as well. All right, all right. So let's uh, let's talk about the big uh, the big moment then. You're, you you uh, you won a Grammy. Yes, yes. Um, so, well, technically, how, how they word it is, <laughs> I am a Grammy song-winning writer of a song that was won uh, best remix recording by uh, Madonna. So, yes, I just I, I I have to clarify. You don't have the you statue know, in your house, is what you're saying? But you were you were involved yes, in. I do not have the statue in my okay. house. But I still. have. I have. Yeah, I got a plaque, which is cool. You know, it's it's nice and shiny. I'll take that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but, but that's yeah, got to be that something. Was- I mean, just bring me to the time when. I mean, I know you probably you probably knew about the nomination and 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 whatnot well in advance. But like, just given the grind that you did, I mean, you know, uh, performing on streets for five years. You know, uh, yeah, I think you mentioned potentially sleeping in cars and whatnot, almost given up, and now mm-hmm. you've got at least a part of what is you know the industry's greatest honor. You, moment 
you want to know how the song was created or do you want to know how up to the point where it's like nominated? Let's talk about the nomination part first. That, that's, that's where I'm okay, at right okay, now. Okay, I got you. All right. LA, I was in some session, I can't remember, and they put out the nominations online. You know, 2010, uh, you know, Grammy nominations and, and blessed to get nominated in a couple categories that year. There was one for Justin Bieber, I believe, um, for, for best pop album. And it was Florida for best rap album. And, and then it was, uh, this Madonna's for best remix uh, recording. Um, so I was kind of on a, I was on a bit of a high. I ain't even going to lie to you because <laughs> to get three different categories in one year um, blew my mind completely. And I was like, yo, this is, this is unreal. So I'm definitely, you know, happy, but I knew that, you know, my life wasn't changing because still in my pocket, you know, I still got to pay bills. You know what I'm saying? So I was still in studio sessions, still grinding it out and uh, didn't really let it get too much, get to me too much. And uh, I remember I was in the car even and we're sitting and heading to a session and over the radio, uh, Kiss FM, they said the winner for uh, best uh, remix recording um was Revolver by Madonna uh, featuring Lil Wayne. And I tell you, man, I almost wrecked the car. <laughs> I can only imagine. I, I was I was so floored that, yo, know, like this this is happening. This is this is what you work for. This is what you you grind hard for. And uh, I got to the session and and I, I I worked as hard as I could. And you know, I that pushed me even more to write even even more songs and even better songs. Yeah, it's amazing how, how you how you take these things like these big moments, and you're um you're still very grounded in, in sort of the reality of what what they might mean. It's like a lot of people could just spin out real quick, like they get they get the signing, or they get they get the uh, you know the publishing deal, or they get the award, and it's like they get just so stuck up in that moment they don't they don't necessarily think about the next step. But it seems like you've always had that eye towards you know okay, what does this now open up, or what does this now mean, or what do I now need to prepare for? I, absolutely, I think that. Uh my mom stays in my head when it comes to these things of just like you shall pass, you know, and that's, and that's, that's good and bad. Right. You know, get caught up in the moment, celebrate it, enjoy the things that you've done, but at the same time, don't let that end all be all for you. And I, I just realized when I was, you know, early in LA watching a lot of my peers, you know, get, the the hit record and then kind of like lose it compared you know with being caught up in the hollywood lifestyle i just knew i didn't want that for myself i wanted to have lasting power in in the business that's interesting that's interesting like this too shall pass like not not only the good things but the bad things both both eventually pass that's that's mm-hmm. uh, that's correct it's a great perspective jump forward a little bit if i could i know you you also um in your uh in your bio here you mentioned a, another uh life-changing event in terms of uh, the some surgery that you had to have can you use that something that you're open to talking about a little bit more yeah yeah yeah, man um about two and a half years ago i uh was diagnosed with a, a tumor called amyloblastoma which is a rare uh jaw tumor and uh it you know was growing in my mouth for two years before I could even notice and then went to the doctor and they tell me like, you know, this is going to take a lot of recovery and, you know, you know, we, we have to remove this tumor because 
eventually this will, you know, eat uh, bone and it's hard. It's already eaten a good portion of your, your bone and but also eat facial tissue as well. So, uh, I mean, it, it definitely freaked me out and uh, it kind of left me in a place of like, what does that mean for my career? What does that mean for my singing voice? What does that mean for my life and how my, you know, how I earn money? So um, I made a decision to uh, move to Miami to be closer to a surgeon that I did not know who he was personally. I just Googled him and I found out that he was one of the best surgeons in the country and deals with tumors. So I reached out to him and, and said, hey, man, you know, you know, I'm uh, I'm little old me, man. Could you take me as a, you know, as a patient? And he said he said yes, and 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 thank thank God he did. And uh, you know the doctors in L A was telling me about a year of recovery, but with this particular surgeon, he got me back up and running in three months. And when you say up and running, you mean back and 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 singing and writing again, or back singing and writing and and performing as well. Um, and that's with a uh, uh, right with my right jaw removed. Um, <laughs> they had to take. The, uh, the the jaw because it was so deteriorated by the tumor um, and he replaced it with a titanium plate. And uh, that's what I have until this day. And, you know, I have that for the rest of my life. That's amazing. And, and, and this, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, sort of motivated you to, to have a bit of a career transition yourself. You've been, you've been uh, writing uh, primarily for others for up until this point, yeah. this, this sort of motivated a, a solo singing career. Is that right? It did, man. It really did. It it took me, it made me see things completely different. You know, I was realizing that I was giving, I was giving myself away in a lot of these records that I would be writing for others, but not really replenishing who I am as a person and, and as a creative. And I think that allowed me to, to put the pump, the brakes on, you know, creating for others and start to really, you know, find myself. And, uh, I started creating, and the first song I wrote uh, called "Mad Love" was dedicated to my wife, and you know, for for holding me down during that process, and you know, watching how people sent me messages and and they loved the video and shared the video, and it's one of my highest stream songs to this day. Just really made me realize, like you know, people people really dig what I'm doing, and uh, yeah, it completely changed my life in the way I think. That's amazing. And talk to, I'd love to hear a little bit more about this, making that transition from songwriter to performer. We've, you know, we here at Royalty Exchange, we've worked with quite a few who have, who have done that. And I've spoken with them afterwards, trying to get a better sense of, you know, some of their motivations and, and whatnot. And um, the few that I spoke with, and I'd love to hear if this is your experience. And if not, that's, that's totally fine. But they, 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 they felt like they needed to have some kind of a separation from their, from the work that they did as a songwriter versus what they were writing to perform for themselves. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I, I needed, I needed something that, that was me. That was my, my, my art. You know what I mean? And, uh, for the longest time, I've always wanted to, you know, perform and, and, and really showcase my talent. And, uh, I just didn't want that window to close on myself. I didn't, and, and I want to also prove to myself that I could actually do it. You was know, it, was it think, harder to write music that you were going to perform yourself versus writing music that you knew others were going to perform? Nah, I've never had that problem. Uh, or I never had that issue of just like deciding what was what. Like I, when I write, I don't know why, but I just, I just write. Like, 
and uh, knock on wood, I, I feel like you know it just it just happens naturally. Um, I think the only thing I, I you know kind of come in contact with is just the the decision process of what to use and what not to use. But when it comes to creating for myself, it's 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 just like writing for anyone else. Interesting. But it's also a little more risky, right? I mean, like before you, when you would write, you know, you get a cut, you know, known artist, uh, you know, you, you feel a little more secure in terms of the, you know, the return, the revenue, the money that that's going to, that's going to, you know, make for you and whatnot. It's a little, I mean, it's a little more dicey now, I would think when, cause, cause trying to do it under your own name, it's, 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 a, it's a little bit of a steeper hill to kind of push up. Yeah. But I think it's more rewarding to me. I think that, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a steeper climb, but I mean, because you don't have Justin Bieber's name in, in your in your credits to say, oh, well, you know, I wrote this new hot single for X, Y and Z. But I feel like it's more rewarding in the sense of you're building your own legacy. And these all, all these artists started from some player, some place. Right. And, you know, most people have a choice, you know, to decide whether they want to, you know, at least the writers can decide whether they want to write for themselves or write for others. And I noticed that when I see people make the transition, and this is several friends of mine who have went on to have very successful artist careers, they make a conscious decision to not to, to not write for other people and to focus on themselves. And uh, that's kind of the decision. That's the decision I had to make and go, you know what? I have to put myself first. And it doesn't matter how long it's going to take. And if even if I have 30 diehard fans um those 30 fans are worth it to me then you know then having people hear a song that i wrote having millions of people hear a song that i wrote um because those 30 fans are really going to love what i do and going to follow my career and, and my life throughout okay all right so tell us what do you so what are you working on now what, what's what's going on with you uh at present well right now New single that's going to be dropping on April 24th. It's right now up for pre-order everywhere. Well, on iTunes, excuse me, specifically. It's called Do It Again. It's featuring Sean Stockman from Boys to Men. So uh, it's really, I I ain't even going to lie. It's one of the dopest songs I've ever done. And to have a legend like Sean, you know, from, from the iconic Boys to Men collaborate with me on this record is extremely humbling. So uh, it's it's up for pre-order right now on iTunes, and you know I'm just I'm just so honored about it, and this song is gonna be a big record for me, so I'm really happy about it. And you know, have you been uh, you know performing? Have you been? We're gonna get into the current situation here in a second, but like, have you been out? You know, uh, doing the live thing? Not at this point. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, yes, I perform in other places, but you know, due to everything shutting down, not not yet. But I will be doing some type of in home concert kind of thing. So I'll definitely be showing showcasing the record and, and doing it live and, and letting everybody know what it's about. Yeah. So let's maybe that we could end if you if you don't mind by by just sort of talking about where we are right now. I, I wanna just quickly harken back to something that you mentioned earlier, which was this two shall pass. Right? Like yeah. we're in a moment that we're all uh, right in the middle of but um, I think we all know that it that it will uh, eventually pass. So how are you you know, I mean you're this, this affects everybody in the music industry a little bit differently depending on, on when, where they are. For for those mm-hmm. that are primarily performers, it's very, very difficult at the moment. Um, certainly mm-hmm. taking a, a huge part of their financial lifeline away from them. Um, yes. But I can, I can only imagine, you know, for, for songwriters who, who, you know, thrive on collaboration in a studio and whatnot, it's equally difficult. Yeah, it is. It is because uh, I think some of the best songs come from collaboration. 
you know, uh, you know, getting a couple people in the room and just, you know, with some instruments and saying, hey, you know, make something from your soul, you know. And so I, I do miss that aspect of people getting together and creating. Um, but I think I think that, you know, this will also bring out the best material in in this kind of self quarantine, self isolation that we're going through. I think we're us as creatives, we're going to be able to make some of the best material the world has ever heard. Well, I, for one, I'm looking forward to hearing what that is once this uh, kind of gets done. Is there any closing thoughts you'd like to, you know, share any, you know, lessons, pieces of advice you'd like to get to people, things, anything you want to promote, anything like that? Yeah, actually, um, that leads to a, a, what I'm going to be talking about a lot more during podcasts and interviews is um, I created an R&B record label that's uh, specifically for R&B music, for rhythm and blues. And uh, I feel like, you know, R&B is so underrepresented at the moment. And uh, I'm not referring to hip hop R&B, I'm referring to R&B in itself as its own genre. Um, I got tired of, you know, seeing things happen and, and, and change and not being a part of, you know, keeping the fabric of R&B alive. So I wanted to do something about it. So I created this label that's really about, like I said, bringing R&B back to the forefront. Um, which I will be doing, and I have an artist by the name of Anya, who's uh, one of my one of my first signings, and uh, we're gonna be dropping some some great music for you guys. And uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna be posing the question: Do you miss R and B to a lot of people? Because I feel like it's kind of lost as an art form. I feel like we've kind of lost our identity, and it's, you know, I want to bring it back. What's the name of this label? It is called Big Circle Music Group. Big Circle Music Group, and no, uh, just I, I. This is something I always used to do uh, back when I was a reporter. So, how did you come to that name? Because uh, um, Full Circle was taken. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> True story. Um, but uh, that, that's enough. Yeah, I just, uh, yeah, that, that was basically it. You know, my wife and I were sitting in the living room, and I liked the idea of Full Circle because I felt there's a mantra that I always say is that everything comes around Full Circle. Mean, which means, you know, the same people you meet in the beginning is who you'll meet the second time around, but sometimes it's even better than the first time. But then I started to kind of, you know, expand on that by calling it a big circle. Um, and this big circle, no matter how long it takes, you're still going to meet some people that can eventually, you know, change and change your life and change their life and, you know, have more allies in, in, in this in this music thing. Well, that's good to know, and I hope uh, wish you the best of luck with that. And what was the name of that first artist that you mentioned again? Her name is Anya. Anya. So it's a A U N Y A E. Okay. Um, you can look out. She has a cover of uh, Memories uh, by Maroon Five. Um, you can check that out. You know, also you can check out um, a couple teasers for my new single, Do It Again, um, online right at the moment on my Instagram, and you can follow me under Jackie's Boy. So, so yeah, man, I, I try to stay extremely busy. <laughs> well, I got to tell you, man, it's been really wonderful talking to you. This has been the highlight of, I would even say my week. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time with me. Um, and, you know, good luck to you and yours uh, during this, uh, during this isolation time. And I, I wish you all the best. Thank you. And likewise, man, stay, stay healthy, stay safe. Okay. Bye now. Thanks for joining us. You can keep up with Carlos and his upcoming release by following his social media profiles linked in the show notes. 
We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode, so be sure to subscribe and join us then. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.